Welcome to Funny They Don't Look Jewish, where Judaism appears in the panels. Our purpose is to find characters, stories, and issues of comics that explore explicitly Jewish content. I'm Brandon Bernstein. I'm Henry Bernstein. No No relation. relation. Hey, Henry, good to see you again. Hi, Brandon. It's great to see you on Zoom. And we even got to see each other in person the other day. We're continuing talking about Ramban and... Where are we? Uh, where are we finding him this week? Great. Well, we're not going too far from where we were. We're in Suicide Squad number six three from March nineteen ninety two. Let's go ahead and dive into our first issue, True Minds. This is once again written by John Ostrander and Kim Yale, penciled by Jeff Isherwood, inked by Robert Campanella and Andrew Pepoy, colored by Tom McCraw, lettered by Todd Klein, and edited by Dan Raspler. Henry, I have a question for you. Yes. And specifically, this question is about whether or not a page in a panel counts as Jewish content. Okay. All right. So on page six of this issue, we are reintroduced to Amanda Waller, the head of the Suicide Squad. She is talking to some scientist by the name of Simon. Uh, And Simon is expressing his appreciation to Amanda that she's kept the Chayot around. Apparently the Chayot were in the last few issues. There was no Jewish content there, though. I checked. Um, They were hanging out, and Waller mentions that it's her pleasure to keep them stranded in the U.S. because Colonel Hakohen needs to learn that he just can't schlep his people in whenever he wants. Simon the scientist looks at her with a questioning gaze. Schlep? And Waller kind of looks at him like, don't you start. So the thing that was weird to me, and my question is, nobody today would bat an eye at using the word (laughs) schlep, right? Right, What is going on? Right. It's so part of the regular vernacular or regular conversation in English. It's it's in the dictionary, uh, you know, along with many uh, Yiddish words, but, right. um, uh, yeah, I love that. That was so funny. It, it raises the question for me, when did Schlepp enter the English dictionary? And uh, unfortunately we don't have an answer. Maybe listeners, if any of you know, and have connections to Oxford English dictionary, I thought about maybe tweeted them, but I, tweeting them, but I didn't get a chance. What I can guess is 1992, probably not in the English dictionary. Now by 2020, it's definitely in the English dictionary. So at what point did it enter there, right? I think I mentioned to you when we were talking about this episode, um, I'm pretty sure I remember seeing books like Yiddish with Dick and Jane and Urban right. Outfitters when I was in college. So maybe even by the early 2000s, it was being absorbed into language more. Yeah, I would bet, I would bet Schlepp is probably one of the earlier Yiddish words. Like I remember when I was a kid, Maven was in the dictionary and like, uh, you know, so Schlepp was probably, it could be around 1992, it could have been earlier, but it's funny that it's like in quotes, Schlepp. Right. It's like, what an unusual word. Why would you be saying <laughs> yeah. that? Right. Whereas yeah. now I think, uh, that's how you po- say Schlepp. You, it's the Schlepp. Totally. There's another <laughs> podcast I listen to where consistently it's very clear. None of them are Jewish. And the host every time is like, tune in next time for another crazy mega-sized Meshuggah episode, right? Like the word Meshuggah yeah. has just become part of American English parlance, I think. And I, what's bizarre to me is I've realized, I think there's a lot of Americans who don't realize these words come from Yiddish. They like, they have no idea that there's this Jewish connection there. It's really amazing. Of course. And so the question is, does this count for us for explicitly Jewish content? Right. And I would argue that the conversation we just had means it's certainly more than implicit Jewish content. Right. right. I mean, yeah. in the first episode, I said we're, we're talking about more than oi, is, is that a character saying oi vey? But I, yeah, I don't think it counts as uh, explicitly Jewish. Yeah, maybe implicit. That's a good yeah. way to frame it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But Worth noting. All right. So let's get to that uh, explicit content. But before we do, um, Henry, what's the setup for what we're looking at? So a former Suicide Squad villain named Mindboggler died. And her amnesic brain patterns were used to create Ifrit, an electronic terrorist. And because she's electronic, Dybbuk is being asked to free her from her programming because he is this computer that has thoughts and feelings. Also, how awesome is it that there's like Dybbuk, which is this monster for, or, you know, this ghost from Jewish mythology, and then Ifrit, which is like this Arabic, um, uh, I think an Ifrit is sort of similar to a djinn, right? It's like a type of like 
demonic but magically powerful Arab mythological creature. Yeah, and it also shows like how like sometimes unaware of the world around me I am. Like I just thought it was like an Israeli name, Ifrit, but it's an Ifrit. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, so shame on me, but <laughs> you, had, you had your Jewish content blinders on. It makes right. Sense. Yeah. So I like that they've sort of um repurposed Dybbuk as something positive because as we've said in you know Yiddish mythology, Dybbuk is something in Jewish mythology, Dybbuk is something evil. It's a demon that possesses you, right? So it's cool that now it's a living AI that has that cares about morality first and foremost. I think that's a really nice way to change the, the story of the Dybbuk. And similar to kind of the Suicide Squad, how the Suicide Squad get to act as heroes uh, and as protagonists. Right. And not only that, I think it's just a really great example of character development, right? Like we actually, how often do you have um, supporting cast members who go through experiences and change and grow as a result. When we last saw Dybbuk, he and Ramban were having this argument and discussion back and forth over the nature of morality, and uh, Ramban convinced him that he should learn more. So I love that we're seeing that has actually influenced Dybbuk and caused him to behave differently. Uh, I also love, we're going to see in this, when we first met these characters in our last episode, Ramban and Dybbuk were confrontational towards each other. And we're, as we're going to see, they're much more buddy-buddy now. It's great. Yeah, it is great. Uh, you, you love seeing um, teammates learning about each other and coming together. So, totally. so, Dybbuk's asking to, so Dybbuk's asking if he can free her from her programming, her being Ifrit. And Colonel HaKohen, our friend from the last, uh, sort of the, the Israeli Amanda Waller, he's furious over 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 this and he's sort of giving it to Dybbuk and um, we're going to read a little bit of this because I just I don't know I've kind of fallen in love with imitating Colonel Hakohane. <laughs> so we're, we're going to read a little bit of the, this I'm going to be Colonel Hakohane, and uh, Brandon will reprise his role as uh, Ramban so we're on page eight in the comic and Colonel Hakohane is talking to uh, Waller, Dybbuk and Ramban. Mrs. Waller, I strongly protest. Dybbuk is unique in this world. To risk him in this manner is unconscionable. Ifrit was a terrorist. What if she corrupts him? Have you thought what a fusion between this Ifrit and Dybbuk might be? How dangerous. Truly, Daniel is going into the lion's den. But he chooses to enter it. We must trust in the Almighty to protect Dybbuk, as he did Daniel. You are not helping, Ramban. Ah, whoever said rabbis are there to help. <laughs> <laughs> right, especially when they're quoting something obscure from the Torah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so question how, how obscure is this or not? So let's talk about Daniel really quick. Daniel, for the most part, I think, well, one, um, I often hear Christians talking about Daniel, I think, a lot more than I do Jews. Um, and two, uh, but it is part of the Hebrew Bible. And two... I always associate Daniel also with Neil Gaiman's Sandman series, which has a really prominent role of a character named Daniel. And I oh. definitely think it's a biblical illusion. So who is Daniel? He's essentially a prophet in the time of Persian rule over uh, the land of Israel. And we're looking in Daniel chapter six, the book of Daniel, just as a fun fact, unique among the books of the Hebrew Bible in that it is written in Aramaic rather than in Hebrew. Um, and so therefore it's also, if you have, even if you have good Hebrew, much more of a difficult book to read. But in Daniel 6, he is the chief minister to King Darius of Mede, uh, which is a, a people from Iran. And all the other ministers hate Daniel. They don't like him and they want to take him down, but they can't find a single fault in him. So what they do is they go to King Darius and they convince him to issue a decree that anyone who prays to any of being other than the king will be thrown to the lion's den and killed. And Daniel, as a good yid, praise to God three times a day. Uh, and the ministers tell Darius about this. They've laid their trap. King Darius agrees that anyone who breaks the law should be killed, at which point the ministers say, ha ha, the person who broke the law is Daniel. And the minister, uh, King Darius freaks out, oh, if I had known it was Daniel, I wouldn't have said that. But they're like, well, what can you do? Your, your word is law. So Daniel is thrown to a lion's den. A giant rock is uh, rolled over the cave, sealing him in it. Surely he's going to die. And yet, when the rock is removed, 
Daniel has been kept alive uh, by Hashem and um, the ministers themselves are thrown to the lion's den and the lions immediately kill them. So uh, it becomes this typical, right? I mean, there's even this expression, it's like Daniel in the lion's den, right? It's this common biblical expression to refer to danger. Right, even being thrown into the lion's den even without the Daniel part is a, is a common expression that is definitely <laughs> yeah. from there. Right. Yeah. That's actually what I meant to say. And I got so locked in on the Daniel part that I couldn't detach him from the phrase. But yeah, exactly. <laughs> the lion's den being a phrase. Yep, yep. Well, as long as we're, we're talking off the cuff then, you know, we didn't discuss this, but uh, I was thinking about why I actually really like Daniel. One of the things I like about Daniel is I'm really curious about that period of time where rabbinic Judaism is just starting and biblical Judaism is ending and there's this sort of overlap, you know, like Daniel's praying. We're already not really doing prophets anymore. So he's like kind, only kind of a prophet. Like he's not in the book of prophets right. and the books of prophet prophets. And, but you know, I, I just, I'm very curious about that period of time, like what was happening. And, and that may be why also uh, he's more prominent in the Christian Bible because you know, we're sort of edging into New Testament area in terms of timeline with yeah, Daniel. We're a, little, we're a little closer to what scholars tend to call the intertestamental period, right? Like the time between the Hebrew Bible and the Christian New Testament. So, so to bring it back to comics, I, I kind of think of it as like when the Silver Age and the Bronze Age were overlapping, um, you know, like the 60s into the 70s in comics when like there was still this same timeline but things were getting less silly and a little more serious. I don't know if that's a perfect analogy, but it's just, it just, you know, it's sort of this gray area. Um, it's different than the difference between silver, the bronze age to the modern age. Cause there are like distinct changes, at least within the DC comics universe. And I, you know, I think with Marvel to a certain extent also. I think it's a reminder that comic books or world history, we always look back and find it easier to sort of say, this is the start of something, this is the end. And the reality is that time periods bleed into each other. There's no clean breaking point. Great. So we're we're on page 16 and waiting for Dybbuk to return. And they're interrupted by a, a refugee seeking vengeance on Amanda Waller. And... Raban is asked to cast a spell, but it's a little more complicated than that. So Brandon, because you've sort of been become Ramban during our readings, will you actually explain, uh, will, you, will you actually read what Ramban says here? Yeah, so, right. So he's asked to make a spell and he basically says like, spells take practice. They, they take intention. You can't just make one up in the moment. Um, so Amanda Waller asks him to fake one. So he raises up his staff, his staff that looks like Moses's staff. It's shooting lightning out of all ends of it. It looks so epically cool. And he goes, by the hoary hosts of Hogoth. Right? Which... It's amazing. <laughs> Rax distracts the, the refugee with the gun. Um, one of the suicide squad is able to take down that person. And then I think Colonel Hakohan kind of looks at him like, where did this come from? Um, and Ramban basically says, uh, I got it from a comic book I used to read when I was a kid, uh, which is amazing because what is this phrase from? It's from Doctor Strange. It's one of the most famous incantations that Doctor Strange uses. He goes by the hoary hosts of Hogoth. And so Hogoth in the Marvel Universe of Comics is one of the oldest magical beings that there is. Um, his entire people is long dead, but he's connected to the souls of his dead people, hence the hosts, right? Um, also just sort of thinking that one of the names for God in Judaism is Adonai Tzivaot, or Lord of Hosts. So there's this idea of like hosts of people or an army of people, or this idea of sort of many being connected to the one. So um, that's the host. And then Hori, H-O-A-R-Y, is another word for old. So by the old hosts of Hagoth is what he's basically saying. <laughs> I just, I know this isn't Jewish content, but instead what we have, instead of us looking for Jewish content in comic books, we found comic books within the Jewish content of Ramban, right? Like, <laughs> looking at comics. <laughs> yeah, I've never felt more kindred. I've never felt more kinship with a Jewish character than the superhero who's a rabbi and admitted to reading comics as a kid. And of course he's a Dr. Strange fan because he loves magic. Yeah, 100%. Uh, it all fits in such a great way. Um, so awesome. it's amazing. And, and by the way, just as a comic thing, I love when comics, when 
uh, the, the, the two big companies refer to each other in a friendly, playful way like that. Um, you know, like Marvel, there's a famous thing that Marvel editors and writers refer to DC as the distinguished competition. Right. And, right, right. and that appears all the time over comics, which is great. Yeah. It, I thought you were actually going to bring up the fact that there've been a lot of Marvel comics that point out Superman as being a fictional character for them. So it's weird because the Marvel characters view DC as fiction in their world. The DC characters view Marvel as <laughs> fiction in their world. What's real. So at this point, um, through some fancy computering, uh, Dybbuk has returned Ifrit to normal. And he gives her a name and a personality, and her name is Leia Wasserman of Mount Pleasant, New York. Yeah, and I, I want to make sure, it's not that he gives it to her, it's that before Ifrit was a computer program, she was someone named Mindboggler, and Mindboggler's real identity was a woman named Leia Wasserman from Mount Pleasant, New York. <laughs> so she returned to her original identity. Yeah, she's like she's returned to who she was. Um, Mount Pleasant, New York is a town in Westchester, which has, you know, a very strong Jewish population. Yeah, how many uh, how many mutuals did you have with uh, a Leia Wasserman on uh, Facebook? Really? Oh, that's a great question. I think when I looked her up, I had like only three mutuals. That's so pretty good. But not bad, not bad. How many Leia Wassermans came up in, <laughs> as possible people, you know? <laughs> yeah. Only a few of them, but one from Mount Ple- um, from uh, Westchester, I think. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Also, listeners at home, feel free to tweet at us and let us know how many Leia Wassermans do you know and <laughs> how many friends do you have in common with them on uh, on Facebook. It's a good version of uh, digital Jewish geography. Right. So at the same time, I guess why I thought maybe he gave her that name was because he also renames himself Lenny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, he decides, you know what? Uh, Dybbuk is not a normal name. I shouldn't have the name Dybbuk. I should just be Lenny. So I guess would they be Lenny and Leia Wasserman, the Wassermans, if they took her name? I think so. Because he doesn't have a last name, so... You so know. I think that he was very progressive for his time. Yeah. He took her last name uh, and they are now Lenny and Leia Wasserman, uh, of, the digital <laughs> AI couple of Mount Pleasant, New York. It's fantastic. Who oh then made God. Aliyah to Israel because that's where the Chayot are. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Dybbuk, or now Lenny, says he's going to get married to, to Leia. And then after he decides he's Lenny, he has a little uh, bit more of an explanation. He says, yes, Leia has convinced me that Dybbuk is no name for a real person. I've chosen the name Lenny to achieve better interface. Leia's mind-boggler persona was never more than a reaction to her upbringing. Leia no longer feels the need to deny who and what she was. She really is a most remarkable intelligence. We have decided to get married. And then <laughs> Waller goes married and Waller cracks a smile. This is a big deal. Yeah, she, yeah that's she, This is the first time I've seen her uh, smile when not also blowing someone's head off. It's incredible. It's awesome. Yeah. And then uh, one of the people there says, great, I love weddings. And another one says, maybe we can get together at bridal shower. Is there any software you guys need? And then, of course, Hakohane says, out of the question, there will be no marriage. Raban, tell him. Mazel tov. <laughs> so Ramban says Mazel tov. And he has, the, he has the biggest smile on his face. It's so wonderful to see. Jeff Isherwood has done such a good job making Ramban look expressive in this moment and look genuinely joyful. It's beautiful to see that. Um, and, you know, I know from watching Lizzie, my wife, do weddings, who's a rabbi, she has this like real sense of joy at the end of wed- wedding and is like often like charged up. Like she's like geeked on joy. And that's what Ramban looks like here. And I know that's something, uh, you know, you experience too when you do weddings. Completely right. You get like so excited doing that. And I can only hope that Ramban is going to officiate. Right? <laughs> like what other rabbi do, this, do they have a close relationship with? Yeah. Um, so on page 19, we get to uh, the final argument between Colonel Hakohane and Ramban um, as Colonel Hakohane still is against this marriage and, and he's, he's upset. And so Ramban turns to him, let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments. And don't quote Torah at, to me. That wasn't scripture. That was Shakespeare. Torah says. I don't care what it says. I will not allow it. 
Um, at which point, uh, Ramban, love it. At which point, Ramban argues it doesn't matter what Colonel Huckohan thinks. He's not the father of either of them. And finally, with a zinger of an ending, besides, what's the problem? She seems a nice Jewish program. <laughs> you got to end it with that. Love it. Love it. Um, so just to like go through really quick, I, I love that Colonel Huckohane has Ramban in such a box about who he is and what he could be that he assumes anything he's quoting has to be Torah and can't be anything else. And I love that Ramban was actually quoting the Bard, right? He's quoting Shakespeare. Um, the line came from Sonnet 116. And it's just like... I know it's not fully Jewish content in that moment, but there's a lot of funny Jewish, like Jewish cultural stuff going on here in this panel and in these pages. Um, and I just like, I know that person who assumes anything I say must be some sort of Jewish wisdom or like Torah. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Rabbi, go ahead. I don't, I don't remember if I've said this on the podcast before, but um, when I was growing up, uh, and like in high school and shortly after college and all that, I would do things people like, wow, Brandon, you should be a rabbi. You're, you know, you've got such a mind for this or whatever they would say. Um, and then I became a rabbi and then I would say the exact same things because that's just who I am. <laughs> like, yeah, but you're a rabbi. Of course you would say that. Whatever, right. rabbi. Right, right. You're like, no, I really think these things. <laughs> yeah, like I'm not trying to fit into some box. It's just me. Yeah, that's um, funny. Yeah. That's awesome. So that's the end of our run with the Suicide Squad, but not the end of our experiences with Ramban. And in fact, our next issue is going to come from volume three of The Spectre, which raises a really important question, Henry. Um, who is The Spectre? Thank you, Brandon. So The Spectre was, believe it or not, created by Jerry Siegel and not Joe Schuster, but and Bernard Bailey. He, the Spectre first appeared in More Fun Comics, number 52, February 1940, which makes him one of DC's oldest superheroes among Superman, created in 1938, Batman, 1939, and Wonder Woman, 1940. So he, it's about as old as a character as you can get. He is a founding member of the Justice Society of America. Wow. And according to uh, Wikipedia, his, his, uh, Origin is he was a cop named Jim Corrigan on his way with his fiance Clarice to their engagement party. He's murdered by thugs who stuff him into a barrel filled with cement and then throw it into a body of water. Just a classic, you know, swimming with the fishes kind of thing. His spirit is the 1940s. It was just the kind of thing that happened. This is what you did in the 40s. Yeah. So his spirit is refused entering into the afterlife and he's sent back to earth by in this first appearance by an entity known as quote, the voice and his job is to eliminate all evil. And he is from that point known as the spirit of vengeance. And he's sort of, it's understood that he's God's angel of vengeance, um, which wow. clearly has some biblical connotations, but to see it in a comic in 1940, I mean, I mean, if you think back to the first five superheroes, he's up there just in terms of, uh, length and he's continued on. He's had several series. He's he's one of the longest running superheroes. He's had major moments in the DC universe, like fighting the Anti Monitor in Crisis on Infinite Earths, um, being uh, Hal Jordan for a while, being in the in the TV show, being Oliver uh, Queen. Anyway, what I love about this is that. Um, that entity known as the voice, it makes me think, you know, Talmudically, people refer, the rabbis would refer to Bach Kol, which was always translated as a heavenly voice, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like God's voice is disassociated from the rest of God to be referred to as sort of a more, you know, uh, I guess, manageable perception of an aspect of God interacting with the world. So I love it that it's called the voice. And who knows whether or not Siegel um, had enough Talmudic learning to know that the voice was a term used to refer to God. Um, but I love it. That's so Yeah, great. I mean, you know, listen, there is a definite romanticism and flirtation that people want, including me, want to believe that Jerry Siegel had Jewish influences within his creations, primarily Superman. That's never been substantiated. Like, you know, I like to think that, you know, Superman came to earth much like Moses did. Um, but of course people interpret it like Jesus. And of course with the, with, you know, I, th I think of the spirit of vengeance, like maybe he was inspired by the angel of death or something. And, but Maybe not. Maybe it's it's something else Christological. So 
I think as we're going to see, though, in this issue, even if it's not at the beginning, the spirit we discover does not start as Jim Corrigan, but actually has been God's spirit of vengeance for a long time, including back to uh, Egypt and before. So um, maybe to get in there, Henry, why don't you tell us the details of this issue? This is The Spectre, Volume 3, Number 15, February 1994. It's called Old Blood, and it's written by John Astrander, not with his wife, Kim Yale, this time, um, but it's penciled and inked by Tom Mandrink, inked by Robert Campanella and Andrew Papoy, colored by Carla Fini and Digital Chameleon, lettered by Todd Klein, edited by Dan Raspler, and a young Peter Tomasi. Love him. Mm -hmm. uh, great. And so we're coming in just to give the background of this, right? Like, all right, so we start off on this first page um, and the first few pages and the specter is in the Sinai Peninsula and he's surrounded by all these skeletons, including like there's a tank and there's a skeleton wearing an army helmet and the specter is just furious over humanity's constant killing each other. He's having a debate out loud over whether or not to destroy humanity so many instances in the Talmud and in Midrash of God uh, either asking should humanity be destroyed or various concepts that are sort of envisioned as God's counsel of wisdom, debating about whether or not humanity should be destroyed or rabbis having a debate over whether or not humanity should be destroyed. Well, yeah, or like in even in like the, the Torah itself and the Tanakh itself in the book of Numbers, you know, God's constantly ready to, to destroy the entire uh, people, you know, right, and then you go to uh, you go to Noah and the flood, right? right, and that's very much God's always willing to destroy humanity. <laughs> anyway. So, Spectre, as God's vet spirit of vengeance, um, is debating whether or not to destroy humanity. So, as we've established, Henry, the Spectre is the spirit of God's vengeance, and the Spectre was at the sea that drowned Pharaoh's army. The southern border of the Sinai Peninsula, where we're currently set, is the Red Sea, which is the sea that the Israelites crossed. And the previous issue of the Spectre, by the way, shows the entire exodus of Egypt. It's mostly from the perspective of Pharaoh. It's mostly from the Egyptian perspective, but it has Moses. It has Aaron. It has the Israelites crossing the sea. It has the Spectre as half of the split sea crashing down to drown Pharaoh's army. Listeners, you should check out this issue if you want to see a wild retelling um, around Passover time. Um, but unfortunately, there wasn't. This is a Ramban episode, so we're, we're not covering it fully. But anyway, once again, the spirit of vengeance that was present at the drowning of Pharaoh's army in the sea, which was the Red Sea, which is located at the southern border of the Sinai Peninsula, where the specter finds itself currently. Is it possible that some of these skeletons surrounding the specter are not modern ones from a modern <laughs> war, but actually skeletons dating back to Pharaoh's army? It's gotta be because there maybe there's some like mirroring, like, you know, the fade away from, you know, from what if you're doing a, a movie, it would fade from Egyptians drowning to then their their bones being still there thousands yeah. of years later. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's like Spectre furious at modern war and remembering the fury towards Pharaoh's army from back in back in the biblical day. Right. And we should say, just in terms of Spectre, like the it's you know, you, you don't normally get to see uh this story told from the Egyptians' perspective. I mean, like in Prince of Egypt, you see Pharaoh at the end, but um, in general, it's the Jews' perspective, the Israelites' perspective. Yeah. Um, the reason why is because much like Ragman, Spectre will like take the souls and like sometimes they have to face him. And so you're getting whatever their final uh, evil deed is, is from their perspective. Oh, interesting. Like That's great to thing. know. Awesome. All right. Um, Henry, why don't you go ahead and take us in on page five of the issue? Uh, we're introduced to Kemal Saad, head of the, quote, Legion of Palestine. And with within the comic, he was his background is he was considered a terrorist and now sort of a, mo a moderate voice and is currently in peace talks with the Israelis. So, Brandon, you, you had speculated that this Legion is clearly a stand-in for... Yeah, that's clearly uh, an analog, a comic book analog for the PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. Now, you know, 
we talked about this during our Sabra episode um, when we were dealing with new warriors issues that also were talking about peace talks and difficulty between Israelis and Palestinians. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't know whether or not that means Kamal Saad is sort of a stand in for Yasser Arafat or um, is just like an, an independent creation, but clearly, you know, they're, they're playing with real world, real world issues while also maintaining things as fully fictional to be a little safer. Yeah, and so we're we're joining us as the the as the chayot are watching him and just doing a little surveillance. And Golan basically is saying, you know, there was a time we would have gone and killed him. Um, and and Ramban, the voice of reason, of course, is like times change sometimes for the better. And then he says, "Peace is better, and Saad is necessary for the peace." So. Long life to him. And of course, Colonel Hakohen, ever the uh, one who argues with him, assuming you trust that bastard Ramban, which I personally do not. Members of my own family died in raids. This man masterminded so much Jewish blood on his hands. And now we protect him. Tell me, where is the justice? With God, Colonel Hakohen, where it belongs. Yeah, so, you know, more of Ramban sort of showing the type of person that he is. Um, and, you know, I've heard this same argument. I've heard both sides. I've heard Colonel Huck Cohen. I have heard Ramban. I've been to, uh, you know, events and lectures and, uh, you know, just various places where I've heard this exact debate back and forth between these perspectives. Um, it made me think of a line from Proverbs, Proverbs twenty twenty two, Altamar do not say, I will repay evil. Rather, put your hope in the eternal, and God will deliver you. Uh, so it's basically a, a verse saying, right, like, don't take vengeance on people that are doing bad towards you. Uh, leave it up to God. Leave vengeance to God. And Gersonides, a rabbi, a real name Levi ben Gershon, also known as the Ralbog, um, a 14th century French rabbi, um, he has this great commentary where he says, do not say I will repair evil to the one who bestowed evil on me, for this is not the way of a person of faith. For they do not desire the doing of evil. Only hope in the eternal, and God will save you from the hand of your enemies. Do not ask God to do them harm, only that God should save you, because this is what you need, not for the other to suffer harm. Look, so listeners, regardless of where you land on on, um, love of actual biblical verses and regardless of how you feel about the concept of a personal God, I think what I love about this that Ramban is embodying is this idea of uh, it's not on a person to to take vengeance on their enemies. What they really need is for the misdeed to stop and for themselves to be saved, not necessarily for others to suffer in kind. And, you know, that leads to all sorts of conversations that are relevant today about issues of, are we looking for vengeance or are we looking for justice, right? Are we looking for restorative justice versus a sort of uh, a vengeful justice that says they have to bleed for their misdeeds or is it more about stopping the actual problem and stopping the harm? Um, so I love, I just love when Ramban is the type of rabbi that I want to follow. <laughs> he's your rabbi he's my comic book rabbi he definitely is <laughs> so on page 12 uh Go- golem confronts specter and specter disperses him i mean uh doesn't yeah he's it. like made out of sand and then he gets like thrown apart into all different pieces it's sort of like uh like what Thanos does to the guardians of the galaxy. And <laughs> if you'll recall when he just makes them like fall to bits. Right. Right. Exactly. And, um, and, and then Ramban is like defending Golem, of course, because they're friends and teammates. And he has this line where he says an eye for an eye. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Brandon? I mean, <laughs> Right, it's, it's kind of like, lame, but an it's kind of cool. And then Spectre uh, claims, no, 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 Golem attacked me first. That was an eye for an eye. And I I hated this, Henry. And the yeah. reason I hated it is like, come on, Ramban knows better. In Jewish tradition, um, it's abundantly clear. Rabbinic tradition 
emphasizes it so much that an eye for an eye or ayin tachet ayin, which appears in both Exodus 21, 24 and Leviticus 24, 20, that that is not meant to be understood literally. Or that if you even understanding it literally based on the context around it, it's clearly about monetary compensation, the value of an eye for an eye right? The value of a tooth for a tooth. And the way they pointed out is like, if only a quarter of the eye gets damaged, how can you be sure you're only going to damage a quarter of the eye back? It's impossible. So it must be about monetary value of this. Um, so Ramban, like as an ordained rabbi, yeah. there's no way he doesn't know this. He would not say an eye for an eye to refer to physical. Co- That's such like, <laughs> this is the moment where suddenly I'm like, all right, John Ostander, you're doing your best, but like you didn't understand this one. Yeah. Like the whole job of the first and second century rabbis was to take the stuff in the Torah that's like this and say, we're not actually going to do physical harm and kill. That's like a thing that we don't do anymore or right. at all or never did. Right. 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 I mean, more <laughs> that one, right? Like the yeah. argument of like, no, 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 it was never intended to be about yeah. physical harm. It yeah. was always about this, right? Like, you know, Rabbi Shai held at Hadar has this really wonderful teaching where he says part of what the rabbis did is they just continued the thrust that was already found within the text. So what he means by that is an eye for an eye, that statement is actually already leaning towards justice because it's a reduction from the concept of a life for an eye. If someone takes your eye, it used to be that you'd take their life. And so to say an eye for an eye is a limiting of the pain you cause. And so he says the rabbis are just just by logical extension, yeah, they're continuing that thread. No, the monetary value of it instead. So um, right, it's a lot of love to Hadar. Um, <laughs> shout out. Shout out, Shai. We'll, I'll let Shai, uh, Rabbi Shai Held know that we, we gave a shout out which, to Hadar. Which Hadar <laughs> faculty member is most likely to listen to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Please be Joey Weissenberg. Please be Joey Weissenberg. <laughs> uh, <that'd be> <laughs> okay. So on page 13, Ramban is basically arguing that the specter should spare Kamal Saad's life because doing so would save more innocent lives in the future, right? He insists that mercy in this case is more fitting than justice. Um, And I don't know about you, Henry, I loved it that like, this is not explicit, but given the Jewish themes that are already there, has this story suddenly become a rabbinic debate between God's values of mercy and vengeance? Like this feels like we're talking about chesed and Dean mm. where we're talking about God's loving kindness and mercy versus God's vengeance and judgment. Mm-hmm. I, I love it. It's awesome. Yeah. It's great. And you know, that, that sort of Kabbalistic thread continues on the next page actually. Um, nice segue, Brandon. So the specter attacks, uh, Ramban, and he is shocked that Ramban lives. And Ramban says, I am a student of the Kabbalah, and the power I invoke is the power that created you. I am more than ready to continue our argument. I love it. Oh. I love it. <laughs> I like, okay, so love the fact that right like so the magic and mysticism that ramban has is because of the kabbalah his reception of jewish mysticism love that love that he referred like he he doesn't say god's name right he refers to god as the power that created you is the power i call upon now love that and then i want every superhero to refer to their battles as just it's just an argument like what it, it, this isn't a fight. This is a machloket. Right. We're just having an argument. Right. And he's a rabbi. So of course he thinks of it that way. I, that's what I'm saying. I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> and, and it's, and it's sort of, um, again, a stand in for, you know, the rabbinic stories in the Talmud of, of God doing one thing and, and, and the rabbis doing another, like they're not really speaking the same language. It's two different right. Judaisms. It's two different human. It, the human experience is different than the divine experience and they don't really go together. Oh, funny. What I thought you were going to go for is um, in the Talmud, it is a compilation of all these um fantastical magical stories of the rabbis that do these things that are clearly impossible in terms of like levitating or making trees get uprooted or doing or coming all back like, from the dead or coming back from the dead all right. these like magical power things but in reality the talmud is just an argument going on right, right. it's just right. discussion so i love the idea that like 
that is Jewish tradition is, yeah. is like these rabbis thinking of themselves as like, what we're doing is coming back from the dead and uprooting trees and doing these cool things. But like, they're just having an argument and here's Ramban actually doing that cool <laughs> stuff. It's like, but it's, it's just an argument. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So then as we're uh, winding down the issue, we we're coming on to page 18. Right. Yeah. So we've been going back and forth between there's the side plot about uh, Kamal being saved and we're just not focusing there because there's not much Jewish content. Right. So um, on page 18, their, their argument continues and Ramban invokes. I call upon Atzilut, the first world, upon Keter and Chochmah with fire and force to strike down my foe. That's yeah. awesome. And it's, so first of all, before you explain Atsilut, I, I just want to say this is like Brandon geek territory that like this rabbi superhero that you love is invoking Kabbalah for his superpowers. This is like if I decided to like start a role-playing campaign with my friends and just play a character that was a fictional version of me as the magical <laughs> rabbi I want to be, right? Like I would just be hamming it up and doing these sorts of things also. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, so, so John Ostander, I think in interviews has admitted that he did this research and he sort of wove things together to be able to create what sounded like incantations and magic spells. And, you know, there are indeed, there is Jewish magic. Um, sometimes it's associated with Kabbalah, sometimes not. Um, but let's get into the Kabbalah of it. So uh, one of the Kabbalistic concepts is that there are four worlds that go from the physical to the more spiritual world. And depending on which way you're counting, either the first world or the fourth world, um, in this case, the first world, is Atzilut, which is like total oneness with God, full spirituality. Um, and it's also considered to be the world or the realm in which the, the spherot, those 10 aspects of God, start to emanate. It's where they delineate from each other. It's where they divide. As opposed to the other worlds being Bria, or creation, which is generally associated with thought, Yitzira, formation, which is associated with feeling or emotions, and Asya, the physical world, which is associated with you know us and this computer and the tables we're sitting at and all those things. Um, and then... Keter and Chochmah, which Ramban references, are the first two spherot. Keter, the crown, and Chochmah, which is uh, wisdom. Usually you see Chochmah and Bina paired together, uh, but in this case you see Chochmah and Keter, which is fine. The only thing that's strange is that the Spectre's response to this is calling it a physical attack. And it's a little weird because uh, this is the level of spherot that's completely unphysical. It's fully spiritual. Why would this be a physical attack? Right. Uh, and not only that, Henry, you, you were saying there was something else weird about this, right? Yeah, that like the specter inherently isn't physical. He is a spirit of vengeance. There's nothing right. physical about him. He's a ghost. Right. He's a spectral <laughs> presence. <laughs> right? Like it's literally what he is. So, uh, all right. Every now and then comics get comic booky. Yeah, because comics. Because so, comics. So we move ahead to uh, page 23. And after helping Spectre defeat a villain, Ramban stands his ground against Spectre. That sort of their argument has sort of continued throughout. Yeah, it's sort of this cool moment where like they're fighting and then they team up against a bigger bad, and then they're ready to resume their fighting against each other again. <laughs> yeah, and he says, "Then you should know that I have linked my life force with Saad's. If you kill him, you kill me. You." will be no better than he. My blood will stain your hands. Or is it the quantity that matters now? Is one innocent death acceptable? And the specter just says, damn you, and disappears. He won in argument, not in fighting. Yeah, so Ramban won an argument against God's spirit of vengeance <laughs> because it's clearly harkening back to Genesis 18 and Abraham negotiating with God over Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Where um, God wants to destroy these cities and Abraham's like, if there are 50 righteous people there, will you spare them? Yes, I'll spare them. Well, if it's lacking five or for want of 10, right? Like, like Abraham negotiates it down to 10 lives. And so I love that Ramban similarly is like, 
this innocent life is connected. Will you take innocent life just to get your vengeance? Um, and, you know, I figure if, if God was willing to spare an entire city full of bad people uh, for the sake of 10 righteous innocents, then surely the specter is going to spare one person who's also in the process of reforming for the sake of one innocent life. It's a great way to end uh, an issue, and it's a great way for the Ramban to really show what kind of character is like, I have a full understanding of this character after these issues in a way that I hadn't about Sabra or, uh, and, and that's just at this point. Right. And, you know, I mean, speaking of that character, Henry, I think just imagine if any other member of the Chayot, granted, we don't know as many, a lot of them, but like if any of them had done the same thing, right? Like if Judith, the assassin had connected, um, her life to to Kamal, or if Golem, or if Colonel Hakohain had done <laughs> this, right? You get the sense that Spectre would be like, "Yeah, I'm fine killing you. That's not a problem. You're not an innocent life." But there's a there's a purity to Rambam. There's a um, like he's shown it through his actions and all these issues. He is a hero and he does fight, but like he does not kill, right? You get the impression that he is one of those heroes that like will never kill, will always respect human life. He like battles to to disarm the bad guys and to stop them, but he's he's got such a strong um, guiding morality. Yeah, it's wonderful. And how how does his story play out for the rest of this series? So yeah, we we, we debated whether or not to cover these fully or not, but essentially for the next I think three issues, so the Spectre uh, Volume Three, Number Sixteen, Seventeen, and Eighteen, we see a continuing story of um, a villain uh, targeting the Spectre and a number of magical characters coming together to confront and or save him and uh rambon is one of them and so we check in on him every now and then he ends up uniting with a catholic priest and and madame xanadu and madame xanadu who's sort of as pagan as they come and you have these three religious perspectives that come together and rambon casts spells where again he invokes this power of kabbalah and he invokes this sphira and i think at one point he refers to the or shabif neem the light that is within right so like the light so there's a lot of cool language but it's nothing new in terms of Jewish content at this point. It's just sort of like, oh, cool, he has another Kabbalistic spell. Um, I would say, if uh, by way of recommendation, it's good. It's and and it, there is Jewish content. So, if you wanted to pick up this series, there's actually a trade pap- paperback um, of this this particular series. It's the Spectre Volume Two: Wrath of God, and it has all these issues in it, including the Exodus from Egypt thing that Brandon was talking about. So I, I would actually recommend it as a comic, which we don't do Rex that often explicitly. Usually just we liked it. So obviously we're covering it. So obviously right. we think you should read it, but like actually go and pick this up. It's a, it's good comic books and it, there's good Jewish content on in more than just one issue. Yeah. I mean, despite the criticisms of, of the fact, like every now and then there were things that were inaccurate. I, I think I told you when we were prepping for this, uh, John Ostrander by far, I think is the best non-Jewish author we have ever seen handle Jewish content. I can't yeah. think of another author who wasn't themselves Jewish, who was as respectful and got as many things right and wrote a character that was just so, so near and dear to my heart. Right. And, and I guess that's what I want to say. And Kim also, of course. What's that? And Kim Yale, well. of course. Yeah, definitely. The two of them together. I So again, I mentioned John Ostrander more, I think, because he wrote Ramban in both Suicide Squad and The Spectre, Kim Yale in Suicide Squad alone. Um, but the two of them did a fantastic job. Um, and yeah, Henry, I mean, let's just talk Ramban now that we're yeah. at the end. What do you think of him? How, how do you feel about him? What do you rate him? I'm, I'm, thank you for asking. I uh, So I was thinking about it while we were doing our recap. Um, and in, you know, as we've mentioned before, we're wrestling fans. And there's a thing in wrestling where you give star ratings to a certain match and, and out of five stars. And there's, there's one particular uh, wrestling writer that does it. I'm not going to mention his name because I'm not a huge fan, but um, and it's like known as like a thing. And it's hard to get a match rated at four and a half or five. And every now and again, and it's happened in the last like three years, he's there's given there's a match that's given a six rating, six out of five stars. It's like the greatest ever. So all that is to say that 
Um, I think I've been pretty generous with my my game David ratings. You know, every one we do, I'm like, I love this, I love this, I love this, with the exception of probably Sabra. Um, but I'm gonna give Ramban five out of five here. And this is the reason why. It's something we talked about last episode and continue to talk about now. He's a rabbi. And as mentioned in the last episode, that is so near to both of us and so good for Jewish representation that there's a rabbi comic book superhero that he is, he's five out of five. Not saying he's my favorite that we've covered, but just in terms of Jewish representation and explicit Jewish content, he, he got it. He got the highest rating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought you were going to maybe break your own system and give him a six out of five. (laughs) Not there yet. (laughs) Not quite there. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of what to say that wouldn't just be repeating the gushing that I've done so far. I have fallen in love with this character in a way that I just haven't in a very, very long time. Ramban has really become a new favorite, and it's a bit of a point of sadness for me that he doesn't appear in any more modern comics published by DC. You know, I think there was a brief mention of him in Doomsday Clock because that had this worldwide theme, Doomsday Clock, that came out, I think, last year, 2019. Um, And so there were references to the Chayot in Israel. And so he was listed by name, but we haven't seen him and we haven't really seen people sort of take him. He was really, some writers have these pet characters that they love and they use no matter what series they're in. And so it feels like Rambon's one of those for John Ostrander wrote him in Suicide Squad, came over to Spectre. Oh, let's bring him over to Spectre. And he appears in a few more, but there's not really Jewish content there. So, I mean, God, I would be so, so happy to see a writer take Ramban and write a, whether it be a Coyote series or just involve Ramban as maybe a side character. Maybe I like you know, there's a series by DC called Justice League Dark, which is a Justice League that specifically deals with magical characters. I'd love to see him as a member of Justice League Dark. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fool myself. No one's gonna write a Ramban solo series. No one's <laughs> gonna write that. But I would love to see him on a team and actually getting fleshed out in that way because he's just. As you said, when it comes to representation, it's not just that he's a rabbi. It's the fact that he's a mensch. I don't think I've ever seen more of a Jewish superhero mensch. Yeah, and he's just a good guy. And how great would that be to see him mix it up with John Constantine in Justice League Dark, who's definitely not a mensch, and Zatanna and Wonder Woman and all the other mystical characters, and to bring like sort of that Jewish mysticism to it. That would be cool. I would love to see that. I I think a Chayot miniseries is not unreasonable. I'm actually surprised that there hasn't been one unless there has, and we're missing it, all the crap that DC put out between 1980 and now, you know, there, you know, I'm just, I'm sifting, you know, thinking about sifting through the 25 cent bin at Chicago comics. And like, what is this? What is this? What is this? Like they couldn't do a coyote miniseries. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. That's a fair point. I, I would, I would have loved to have seen it. So maybe that should be our, maybe that should be our next uh, online campaign to get a coyote miniseries. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this. I want a Hyout miniseries and I want a Rambon action figure like nobody's business. Great. <laughs> uh, well, this was really wonderful. Very yeah. exciting. We'll be back at you again with our next wonderful Jewish character. Uh, but until then, I'm Brandon Bernstein. I'm Henry Bernstein. No relation. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Jewish Comics Pod, or you can email us at Jewish Comics Podcast at gmail.com.